Hi, Amanda. Why don't you introduce yourself? Hi, Priya. Thank you so much for having me on this Crypt Life. I'm super excited to be here with you. My name is Amanda Haranoff. Um, but funny thing is, so when <laughs> my family actually came over from Trinidad, I actually heard that there was a story that I guess there was like a mix up. So I guess in order for like my dad to make the pronunciation of Harry not easier for we Americans to say, we mm. just switched it to Haranoth. So <laughs> to actually pronounce Harry not, but for we Americans, we just say Haranoth, just make it easier. But anyway, um, <laughs> so um, like I said, my name is Amanda. I was diagnosed with autism at the age of 26, retinopathy of prematurity, which is congenital, so at birth, as well as hydrocephalus, which is again, congenital, which is at birth. Um, and along the way, I, I would have a whole bunch of other complications and issues, but I think that's what truly makes those of us with intellectual disabilities and physical disabilities warriors, that we can go ahead and we can rise up against what allows us to um, show ourselves in the absolute best light. So for many people, we constantly believe that um, those of us with disabilities are worthless but I'm here to prove everybody wrong because that's what I do here to prove Great. everybody wrong. I love that that's because that's what I do too so I love that um so uh let I guess this is talk about your childhood so it seems you were born with the I and I'm sorry I I do not know how to pronounce the two things that you had mentioned earlier. Um, so those you were those disabilities you were aware of from your child, obviously from your childhood. So why don't we just talk about that a little, if you don't mind? Let's go for it. Yeah. So I, to to be honest with you, don't know which disorder came first. As far as I know, they came at the same time. I was born in 1989, so there wasn't much at that time research that was being done, but that was right around the time that they were beginning to save premature babies, as my my mom tells me, because during during, you know, 1980s, late 1980s, especially if you were of color, they weren't trying to save you. Mm -hmm. So it's like it's, it's bad enough that you're of color, right? But then also to have a disability or disabilities, which is what the, the category that I'm in, multiple disabilities, they, they, weren't, they weren't trying to save you. And it kind of seems like doctors really weren't interested in finding out, you know, some of these causes for these various conditions really until, you know, 1989, definitely 1990. My mom was a huge um, cause of why I, I got a lot of the care that I got because she and my dad constantly asked questions. So I'm black and I'm East Indian. My, my mother is like this, this fierce fighter. She's African-American. She's mm -hmm. awesome. She gets that really from, from her, her mother and um, you know, her, her uh, grandmother, who's my great grandmother, mm -hmm. they are prayer warriors they will do exactly what it is that they need to do you you want to get a prayer through you talk to my my mom my grandmother my my great grandmother because they were definitely right. 
strong, strong women of God, strong women of faith. That's where I get my faith from. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't be anywhere, honestly, today, if, if it wasn't from my relationship with Jesus Christ. Um, so my, my dad, like I said, um, Indian, grew up in Trinidad, ended up coming to the United States when he was 10 years old. So, you know, that, that comes with its own set of um, experiences. But yeah. I think because he is married to such a strong partner, mm-hmm. I think they draw strength from each other, honestly. And my, my dad, particularly while I was going through things with um, hydrocephalus, which is water on the brain, mm-hmm. he was always the one who was, you know, spending the, the majority of the time in the, the hospital with me um, as, as I got older. But then my mom also told me this story of how on his way home from work, since he would get off a little bit later, he would stop off at the hospital and, you know, come see me, come visit me in the little incubator that I was in. I was only one pound, seven ounces. <laughs> I was a tiny little little premature baby not expected mm-hmm. to survive. So I, I really do credit my parents and my, my older sister. I have an older sister, Ashley, who's studying right now to be a psychologist. Mm-hmm. So I really do credit my, my family for the reason why I'm here today. Yeah, no, that's great. And, you know, like, it's so fortunate, you know, when you have a family and you have like, say a disability, it's so, you know, not everybody has that. Right. And so, of course, I mean, for me, even like when I fell and had my spinal injury, um, you know, my family was a great, sense of support, you know, support, like they, like I moved in with them for two years to kind of adjust to like what my life. And then when I wanted to go, I mean, I remember when my father, my father came to me after I had my injury, he said to me, he's like, yeah, just because this happened doesn't mean you can't, you can't do what you want to do. Like, it was just great to have parents like that, because I know not everybody has parents like that. And when you're, you know, it's uphill battle when you're disabled because, you know, there's things you have to deal with and, you know, so it's great to have parents that can be the strong person for you while you, you know, when you can't. So that's really great. Um, so, so then you had those, two, is it two, dis- two different disabilities you had? The hydrocephalus was just the water on the brain, correct? Right. And then the, the retinopathy of prematurity, which is, um, the, the eye condition, a, so I actually just learned this. It's actually a potentially blinding disease. I did not actually know that. And Mm -hmm. I believe it is, I was doing my research. I believe it's actually one of the leading causes of blindness in babies, I believe. Wow. Wow. And I, I was you know, just, just kind of doing this, this research after I suffered retinal detachment back in, as, as far as I know, my retina is detached, I would say maybe three times, four times, mm-hmm. of course, the first two times in infancy, and they did a cryo procedure, which is basically where they go ahead and they, they re they 
freeze the retinas in place to stop it from detaching. Right, right. And um, so, so that was done for me in infancy. And then it happened again in 2018. It was a scary experience because, you know, when, when you're an infant, you don't know what's going on. Right, right. How old were you then in 2018? 28. 28. Oh, okay. So you were pretty old. And so. Yeah. Yeah. I was, yeah. I was, I was 28 and, and you'll, you'll love this little fun fact. I'm standing outside um, one of the meet and greet lines at Disney world. Mm-hmm. I love the Disney princesses. Mm-hmm. I'm getting ready to go and meet Ariel. It was a 25 minute wait and I'm getting ready to go meet Ariel and I'm constantly rubbing my eyes because it's mm-hmm. itching and burning right. and I'm thinking I got something in my eye and I'm thinking right. that my eyes are irritated because I actually had a cold and thinking all kinds of things right right but it's itchy it's burning and I didn't know at the time so my trip to Disney was in March and by I want to say May I, I believe it was May and I believe it was actually like national day of prayer i believe mm-hmm. and i was like i'm i'm on the the phone with another good friend of mine and i was like hang i was like hang on i was like my my field something's wrong with my field of vision i'm seeing a bunch of white spots but it's like when i try to look away or i try to go ahead and clean out you know wash out my eye the spots are still there right right what's what's going on mm-hmm and so in, in the meantime, we, we go down to the low vision clinic in Berkeley. Mm-hmm. They're unable to find anything. So then once, once again, my <laughs> wonderful mom, she's, she's calling around and she reconnects me with um, my uh, retina specialist who saw me at that time over 20 years ago and potentially saved me from going blind the first couple of times. Mm -hmm. So we reconnect. And unfortunately by that time, the, there, there had been some damage that already been done to my left, uh, my left, no, excuse me. My right eye (laughs) Mm -hmm. was my right eye where it had indeed detached that was it was it was scary yeah I can imagine it it was it was incredibly scary I mean nobody wants to wake up um not not able to see I have these wonderful Disney princess curtains in my room and I woke up unable to see and I don't know how I got downstairs to initially go ahead and make the appointment, oh, well, I need to, I need to be seen because I, I remember almost, you know, falling down the stairs. I don't remember if I had to scoot on my bottom down the stairs, or I don't remember if I just had to aggressively hang on to the handrails, but somehow I got myself downstairs and that, that was a journey of mine that wasn't, it, it wasn't planned, but I know that when you have a disability, you can't plan it out. Oh, right, of course. on this day, my retina is going to detach. On this day, 
My yeah. shunt is going to fail and I'm going to get sick and I'm going to have a seizure. Right. You right. can't plan these things out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, that's true. You you have to deal with them as they come up. And it depends on how it comes up. But I would say this, if it wasn't for the idea of retinal detachment, and that, that was that was pretty long ordeal. It was like five hours of tests to determine that the retina was detached. And then after that, we had to wait a little while to actually have the procedure. And I had to sleep face down on this device thing that was kind of like a weird uh, piece of exercise equipment, but I had to lay my face down there. Uh-huh. And, and that, that was considered what, that was considered me sitting up. Sitting up? I, I, Is that what yeah, you Yeah, I, I, uh-huh. I could sit up, but it had to be like face down. Weird. Okay. Very, very weird. Like my face had to like lay through this like cushion and like- Almost I, like I, a I, massage table type of thing, something like that. Yeah, I was gonna call it an ironing board, but that's not the right word. But, it, <laughs> but it was, yes, so it's so it's kind of like a it was kind of like a massage table, and that was to lay down. Uh huh. And I I had to, as far as I know, I had to do that in order to get the retina to make sure that it stayed in place. I had to do that for had to do that for five days. Mm-hmm. Wasn't any fun. <laughs> <laughs> really wasn't, but. I, I got through it, but the, the depression began to set in. Right. So I made it through this procedure, but still, what am I going to do? Because I'm still walking around with essentially uh, damaged vision in my right eye. Right. And it wasn't going to return. So mm-hmm. what does my mom say? Oh, I'm reading the newspaper. Oh, by the way, they're having track and field tryouts for the Special Olympics. Do you want to go? No, I don't want to go. I want to be left alone. And then once again, oh, do you want to go to this track meet? All right, fine. I want to go to this track meet. Right, right. (laughs) So I'm stumbling up the bleachers because actually one of our government representatives, um, is actually at this track meet for persons with the Special Olympics. And I'm thinking, how cool would it be to meet these government officials? So that was really the only reason I was going. And then as I was sitting there waiting for it to conclude, I heard, well, actually not to conclude, as I was sitting there waiting for everyone to actually start practice, I heard one of the best things I thought I would ever hear before in my life special olympics oath let me win but if I cannot win let me be brave in the attempt and then my heart opened and I said how the heck do I get to do this I was like that resonates with me the idea of sports doesn't but just that oath right there resonates with me Right. So, you know, just in listening to that part of your life story, 
it makes me think a lot about, you know, just some of the things I see about disability activists talking about. So the first thing is like, you, you know, this, you are, you know, you had experience with the retina detaching, but you know, it was like when you were an infant, so you probably have no memory or actually, you know, thought, you know, realize what that was. But, you know, when something like that happens, um, you know, we talk about this idea of inspiration porn, which I, I oh, totally yeah. agree using, you know, using people, you know, using any kind of person to inspire another for manipulating a cause, but like you going to that Olympics, sitting there and hearing that phrase, it, it, it inspired you to break out of, you know, this depression and self, I'm going to say self-pity. I don't want to use words that, you know, you're welcome I, to say self-pity. Go yeah, ahead. I, <laughs> so, you know, the self-pity, this depression that is natural to have when something like this happens to you. Right. So it's not. Right. And I, I also see a lot of disabled activists being like, don't, make feel bad for me and you know stuff like that but you know it's a transition when something like that happens to you you have to kind of mentally process how you deal with it how am I going to do you know when you lose something you have it's natural to like be sad about it and you know kind of think like I had this but I don't have it anymore so you know and, and it's it's and I don't think it's ableist or bad. It's just a being human, in my opinion. I agree. I, I, I agree with you. I mean, we already, as a disabled community, we've already been told by society, oh, well, you can't walk. Well, that sucks. You can't see. Well, that sucks. I mean, so, so let us be able to find joy for the things that we can do and we do have. And it's like when you lose that or when you no longer have the ability to do it, I mean, we already have our backs up against the wall anyway. Right, right. So for what for those things that we can do, those are the things that we try to hold on to. Right, right. In my opinion. Yeah. And um, I just think, yeah, that's being human. <laughs> like there and and yeah, I just, um, and my opinion, like with disability is that, you know, my mother was disabled, me growing up, but we just kind of as a family unit got through it. We didn't really, you know, it was like in the six, you know, it was probably like 1965. Uh -huh. I was born in 68. So I think her arthritis, she had rheumatoid arthritis started. Uh -huh culminating probably around the year I was born and it, you know, it just got progressively worse as I, you know, as I got older and as she got older. Um, so we, we just never talked about my mother being disabled, you know, it just wasn't presented in that way. So it was just more like, Oh, she can't do this. So we got to help out or we got to help her. And, you know, and it wasn't, and it was, we were never discussed like, oh, because she's disabled, well, she can't do this. Like my mom actually ended up getting her master's in English and, you know, did all these things like went to college and stuff like that. So, um, 
so it was just really interesting for me growing up with a disabled parent in that way where we didn't really even discuss about disability. Whereas as opposed to now, when we live in this time where, you know, this identity of disability is very important. And I don't even know where I'm going with this, but like, you know, I got <laughs> kind of got lost in thought here, but you know, this identity of disability is so important, which I do think we need to have a positive idea of it, but also, you know, when you can't do things like everyone else, there is a sadness that resides, right? So, yeah, yeah, and it's it's interesting that um, it's it's interesting that you you say that. <laughs> so I, um, as as I was saying earlier, I I would eventually join the Special Olympics. And as you just said, it's, you know, heartbreaking when you can't do things just like everybody else. Right. Now, that's me in sports. Now, you would think, <laughs> for real, now you would think, and, and this, this is very, very true of the Special Olympics, they have several different levels for each athlete to compete. They have the, the skills part of any sport where you have coaches who actively just let's teach you the skills of basketball. Let's teach you how to dribble. Let's teach you how to shoot. Let's teach you how to stand on that. I think it's called a free throw line and all that kind of stuff. Right. Right. Let's, let's teach you those skills or in, in swimming at the most basic level of swimming. I have heard athletes tell me that, Oh, well the coaches get in the water with you and actually teach you how to, you know, we're going to work on sticking our face in the water and then we're going to work on a backstroke and we're going to work on all these, you know, very, very basic moves. We're going to, you know, have our hands on the wall and we're going to teach you how to kick. And, you know, they, they go very, very um, basic with you to, you know, higher levels where you're actually diving, you know, into the pool. Mm -hmm. And I'm thinking, well, (laughs) I probably stink at all of this mm-hmm. because like I said, I, <laughs> I grew up with hydrocephalus. <laughs> so right, right, right. Water on the brain. I don't think a doctor ever really told me that I couldn't play sports. It was just more of don't get hit in the head. Right, You're going right. to mess your shunt up. Yeah, yeah. So I, I came in with the idea that let's see. I have this tube in my head that's going to stop my brain from going berserk. Uh, From the the first retinal detachment surgery, my parents had to go ahead and determine whether or not they were going to save my peripheral vision or my tunnel vision. It was my tunnel vision that was ultimately saved. So I can't see on the sides of me. I have to turn my head every time. So sports are probably not the safest thing for me to do. Right, right. So back in 2018, why the heck would I go ahead and join the Special Olympics when this is something I've been avoiding for many, many years? Right, right. But I I think, and I, I play, um, I, I call them low to no contact sports. So mm. when I was actively participating in sports, I played bocce ball, which is kind of like lawn bowling. Mm-hmm. nothing hits you in the face and then I bowled competitively okay cool yeah so low to no contact sports but I remember that I would come in from these practices feeling defeated because well 
In bowling, they have that one little line that they don't want you to step over or these really, really scary buzzers will go off. Right. And then in bocce, you have to go ahead and hit this very, very tiny polina that you can't see. Right, right. So sports were ultimately difficult for me. And I just remember coming home, being extremely frustrated at practice. Like, I understand that they are supposed to serve all levels, but this is, this is almost painful for me. So again, what am I doing here? What's my purpose? And in 20, yeah, was the fall of 2018. This was at the bowling regional. Mm-hmm. And I don't, to this day, I don't know who this woman was, but she overhears me speaking to somebody else. Mm-hmm. She gets a hold of my mom. And then my mom is telling me about, oh, I, I was talking to, you know, this, this woman over there at the competition. And she was saying that you need to join the global ambassador program, which is the public speaking program. So if I'm honest, I wanted a gold medal. Nothing was going to stop me from getting a gold medal. Get out of my way until I get my gold medal. I don't care about public speaking until I get my gold medal. But my, my mom was super adamant about me really, really doing this class. So this was in the fall of 2018. The class wasn't going to be available until summer of 2019. So I had a, had a, had a while to go before I was going to take this class. So I really wasn't thinking about it at the time. I was just, I was hell bent on, I'm going to get that medal and it's going to be yeah, gold yeah. and it's, it's going to be nice. And because for me, academically growing up with an undiagnosed uh, intellectual disability, I, I never got, you know, awards in school and things like that, mm-hmm. um, except for the standard, you know, if you're, if you're in special ed, you have that wonderful privilege of everybody getting an award just for the heck of it. Right, right, right. Right. So, you know, as, as I got into the, the higher grades and things like that, they, they would give my friends awards for things like that, you know, whether it be like, you know, sports awards or, you know, making the football team or things like that. And, you know, academically, I just didn't have it. Mm-hmm. So, th- so those were two things that I kind of lacked. Sports, uh, academics, bleh, nope. <laughs> so I was like, uh, where am I going with this? I was like, all right, so I'll, 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 I'll take this class. I mean, probably not gonna, probably not gonna like it. Well, I mean, it is public speaking, but I'm probably just gonna like, go in there and like give my speech and like sit down and that's that's really all I'm hoping you do because growing up now public speaking was one of my my uh strengths growing Mm. up okay cool and the word that I heard constantly growing up but never knew what it meant was articulate articulate Mm. articulate articulate mom what does that mean is that something I can get paid to do? That was my mindset as a child. <laughs> it, it, it wasn't, at least in my opinion, something physical that I can do. 
oh, but my, my friend really, my friend over here is really, really good at shooting a basketball. That's something physical. My other friend over here is really, really good at drawing. That's, you know, obviously something that you can also see. You can't see articulation. Right, right. But you can hear it. Yeah, definitely. But I didn't know really anything about that. You want to know, if I'm honest with you, Freya, the one thing that I got when I would get up in class and give speeches, the the kids would laugh at me. They would mock me. I heard a lot of, you sound white when you speak. Mm-hmm. Huh? <laughs> okay. And what do they mean by that? Like you were just because you were articulate. Is that really what they were saying? Or what was the, what I, were they trying to say? I, don't I guess so. <laughs> I, I guess because I was well-spoken, I, they, I guess, equated that to, are you trying to be white? No, I'm right. trying to be Amanda. Yeah, yeah. No, or no. no, I am Amanda. Right. I don't identify as white on paper. How does my voice sound white? How about my voice just sounds like a voice and this is how I speak. And now I can openly admit to, I would eavesdrop on my parents' business calls because I like the way that they spoke when they were conducting business over the phone. But I didn't know that that was black or white or Asian or Hispanic. I just thought that they spoke really well when they were conducting business calls. And I would just be something that I would listen to. And it's very, very common for persons with autism to go ahead and mimic things that they hear, or mimic things that they like. And for me, in my case, I really loved eavesdropping on my dad's phone calls when he conduct when he was dealing with business. Yeah, that's interesting. So I, so yeah, I want to kind of move to your autism. So like, so just growing up, like now, like, you growing up and then later you were diagnosed. So in hindsight, did you like kind of like think about your journey till you got to that point? Like it, you know, when you were diagnosed with it, did, did, were you like, Oh, this is why I had, you know, whatever obstacles you had growing up with education. I don't know if your autism contributed to your athletic ability, but (laughs) I don't think so. I think it probably made things worse. But what I can tell you is it did make me obsessed with public speaking. Right, right. So, so, so I was just wondering, like, when you got diagnosed at the age of 26, right? That was when mm -hmm. you got diagnosed. So then when you got diagnosed with the autism, did you finally like it was the light bulb or whatever you're like oh or what did it like kind of explain a lot of the struggle maybe you had I I don't want to assume you had struggle but so that's why I'm saying maybe no I, I I absolutely had struggle it it made me it made me feel so much better right um I could finally be in a place again in regards to dealing with public speaking because you know I was I I I did my research on autism eventually and they said you know some of some of the what goes on with persons with autism um 
some some of the classic, you know, things that happen for persons who are on the autism spectrum, they typically have interest in people who are older than them, which is, I loved hanging out with all of my teachers. Uh-huh. They typically have an advanced or enhanced vocabulary. Mm-hmm. And then I said, yes. I was like, absolutely, yes. I said, right, I right. think this explains my ability for being quote unquote well-spoken. Right, if somebody right. could have told me that in elementary school, I wouldn't have thought that I'm weird or trying to sound white. No, I'm trying to be Amanda and this is something that I love. And more importantly, that eventually, eventually my voice would take me places because I had heard it all throughout school. And it, I seem to, my, my earliest recollection of hearing a comment like that, that I was well-spoken and I had a certain behavior to me was I was in middle school. Now the teacher who actually told me that I still keep in touch with him till today, haven't reminded him of this, but I think I really should. The, the class was getting in trouble <laughs> mm-hmm. and he, when we got in trouble, he would group lecture us. Okay. Well, you guys need to, and blah, blah, blah. And I, I, I remember Amanda, I was like, I'm, I'm shaking because I, because I thought I was in trouble. Well, Amanda, she can go anywhere around the school and nobody would know she wasn't special ed. You can look at her and it doesn't matter what path she takes, she's going to get to where she needs to be. Mm-hmm. And I never forgot that because um, these were still kids that would make fun of me, but the very fact that this, this teacher would bring this out in me mm-hmm. that because I behaved a certain way, which I, I was very quiet then, Right, and right. I followed rules and didn't want to exhibit certain behaviors. Um, the the re- research has showed that um, when females on the autism spectrum are typically diagnosed, it's typically a mig- misdiagnosis. Mm-hmm. And um, because we behave in a way that's more socially acceptable. Right. Compared to our male counterparts, our male counterparts are typically the ones where they're bouncing off the walls, they have the behaviors, they're screaming, they're, you know, using inappropriate language, but it's like your, your female, um, your, your, your female perspective for those with autism, they want to blend in. Interesting. Yeah. And I wanted to blend in as soon as possible, which is what I was trying to do in the Special Olympics when I was giving my speech that hot summer day. I was giving that speech and I was trying to blend in. Well, right. you can't blend in when you're dressed in a suit. It was super hot out there. I had my hair down. I'm sitting there in a button down and I'm talking at the level that I'm talking to you now, but my, my dad said, right before you go ahead and give your speech, I'm gonna be in the back of the room and make sure that I can hear you. So I'm like elevating my voice, trying to make my voice carry to the back of the room. And the course facilitator 
is loving it, has this huge smile on his face the entire time. And I'm looking at him and I'm looking mortified because I'm like, holy crap. And I just announced that I had just like written a book like a couple of years prior. And I'm like, holy crap, holy crap, holy crap. I think he's going to like come talk to me after, right, which right. I don't want. I want to be left alone. Yeah. <laughs> I was right. Came to talk to me after. But what, what I will say is that it forged my path within the Special Olympics. My calling was not sports. And it took me a while to accept it. And actually recently, just this year, I accepted it fully. We're in COVID. I was thinking we're in COVID. We're not going to return to the field anytime soon. Mm -hmm. I need to stop kidding myself and stop trying to be someone that I'm not, which is an athlete. Right. I need to be a public speaker because that's who I am. That's who I was told I was going to be from a young age, especially with what the heck can you do with articulation? Can you get paid for it type of thing? (laughs) But the global ambassador program and Tyler who heads the program for Northern California was definitely one of the people who was in my corner and definitely still in my corner and absolutely like loves, um, encouraging me to absolutely be my best with the public speaking so I eventually found someone that said hey Amanda it's okay to be articulate or in his his words hey Amanda it's okay to be well-spoken because I eventually asked him last year as I was prepping for another podcast autism stories I was like um what is, do, do you remember what you thought about me in 2019 for the class? Responds back to me. Yes. I thought you were very, very well-spoken and you've gotten even better. And I said, okay, God, well, this is what I'm meant to do. So earlier this, early, uh, actually in January, I made the decision to step away from the sports aspect of the Special Olympics and mm-hmm. become a full-time activist with this. Oh, cool. Yeah, no, that's great. And I, yeah, because I actually don't know much about the Special Olympics. So um, thank you so much for, you know, explaining that because I, you know, and there's a difference between the Special Olympics and the Paralympics. And yeah. a lot of a lot of people, you know, a lot of people are really ignorant about that. And right. um, they don't actually understand that people in the Paralympics are actually people that train really hard to become athletes. Whereas the Special Olympics is more. I mean, you could probably transition from the Special Olympics into the Paralympics, and I don't know how often that has happened. But um, but the Special Olympics is more, to, I don't know, to kind of, I guess, raise your confidence as a disabled person and kind of like let make you try things that maybe you were afraid to try or would never try, you know, maybe. 
I don't know. So, that's, so, uh, so this is how I differentiate the two. Okay. Um, and this is what I learned actually from Special Olympics Australia's website, actually. Mm-hmm. So the Paralympics, according to um, the reading, was that the Paralympics is for your elite athletes, mm-hmm. your right. highly skilled elite athletes. Whereas the Special Olympics, you're working on things such as, and this is me paraphrasing, you're working on things such as skill building, confidence building, building the rapport with friendships and things like that. Um, but for me, um, I, I, see, I see the Special Olympics differently because again, I'm not sports inclined. Right. So I see things a little bit differently. For me, the Special Olympics is and has been a place for me to go ahead and amplify the voices of those with intellectual disabilities who may not have a voice or who may choose to express themselves on the field. Um, so everybody's experience, every athlete's experience is different within the Special Olympics. You know, we're in 200 countries that have Special Olympics programs. Right, right. You know, that's, you know, million, I'm terrible in math, millions of athletes all over the world. Um, although we are basically pri- primarily known for sports, there are, you know, other avenues that you can pursue um we have what's known as unified champion schools so that's having um a unified partner which is someone with no disability and then you have um you're you're partnered with somebody with a disability and you're on a unified soccer team so you guys are playing together for that common goal they have i believe unified basketball teams again your your partner does not have a disability. Once again, you guys are working on those team skills to go ahead and make sure you score enough baskets. And I don't think I've heard of a unified bocce team, but again, (laughs) I'm not involved in the sports aspect anymore. Um, Mm -hmm. Public speaking for me, that's, that's what I do. So I'm involved in like a lot of the campaigns for Special Olympics Northern California. And that has actually been really, really good for me because I I eventually would get involved with um, areas like Special Olympics Maryland. And I've been asked to be on a committee of theirs. And I've been asked to speak at a couple of their events and go ahead and host and and lead um, some of their athletes and some poetic exercises, which I actually think is wonderful. Um, and then eventually it would lead me to explore what was going on with Special Olympics International. And that, that absolutely changed my life because again, with, with being an activist, Mm -hmm. I was like, you know what? I was like, I would love to make it to, at that time, I wanted to participate in the World Games as an athlete. The World Games, I believe, is every is it every two years, I believe. I believe it's every two years. <laughs> <laughs> um, and two years? I hope so. Anyway, um, so I, I wanted to be able to participate in that. But then 
as I was watching World Games back in 2019, I saw that they gave an athlete an opportunity to actually deliver some type of speech. Uh-huh. And I was like, I really want to go for my athleticism. I really want to go for my athleticism. I was right. struggling with it at that time. Still right. struggling with it. I was trying to, you know, just, just fake being an athlete. Like, that's how badly I wanted it. But I, I think now that I've become so much more confident in my ability to speak and having to go ahead and dismantle the shame of wanting to be someone that I wasn't and in, in an environment that is supposed to lift every athlete up. Mm-hmm. I just feel so much better about this. So I actually got to lobby Congress for my second year in a row. That was a lot of fun. That's good. I got to do it poetically. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, I got to do it poetically. So I, so I gave my like, I don't even know if you can call my speech like one minute long, but the whole point is, is that I ended both years in a row with a poem because that's what, that's what I do. I completely go ahead and write the poems myself. And that's where I feel most comfortable and confident. And this year around, I was actually honored with an invitation from Special Olympics International to be a featured guest at the reception. Oh, that's awesome. That was freaking awesome because one of my goals was to meet eventually Chairman Tim Shriver. He Mm -hmm. took over for his mother, Eunice Kennedy Shriver in 1996. Mm -hmm. And I did it. And the, the wonderful thing about it is he honored me by sending me actually a note. It was on Valentine's Day, best thing ever. He sent me a note and um, it said something to, I'm just going to read a couple excerpts from it because this was so awesome. I took my favorite parts. Um, Yeah, yeah, awesome. On behalf of the Special Olympics movement. Now, I just want to stop right there. That gave me chills because I went from on behalf of Special Olympics Northern California to being acknowledged on behalf of the Special Olympics movement. Yeah. Um, I just want to say that, you know, we, we really loved, you know, your, your poem. It was an inspiration to us all. And I was like, oh, wow. And the, the other thing that kind of stuck out to me, and I'm, 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 I'm still beaming because it's like, it's, it's Tim Shriver and he's like, you know, one of my heroes for, for like this wonderful movement. So I'm still right, beaming right. right now. And, you know, an, another part that really stuck out to me was um, when he said, you're a great leader for this movement. So once again, it's like not, not once in this letter did he acknowledge me as an athlete, which is totally fine because my calling was not to be an athlete, but to be a leader. Right, right. And I said, I, I absolutely love this. And he ended um, the letter with, thank you again, Amanda, for supporting our athletes and all that you do to advance the cause for justice and inclusion for all. 
And when I read that, I almost broke down and cried. And oh, I said that because I, I I say that because that, that's such a powerful statement from one of the main disability disability leaders in the world. Yeah. Who has helped to enhance his mother's work in life, which was the Special Olympics. You know, she, right, she started right. that and then he has just made it grow so much larger and just have an even larger purpose for many of us athletes to, to step out and, and become leaders and, and find our voice, but to, to be acknowledged for all my work, not as an athlete, but as a leader, it, it does give you chills down your spine because that to me is worth more. Now I have athlete friends who kill me, but <laughs> that to me is worth more than all the gold medals in the world. <laughs> well, that in its, in its own sense is a gold medal, right? It just isn't, you know, a physical gold medal. It's, it's a I, I, yeah. metaphorical I, I gold medal, if you will. A metaphorical, <laughs> metaphorical gold medal. Gold medal. I, love it. I, I started referring to those moments, like when I get acknowledged, if I'm like in a, a magazine or things like that. I started referring to those things as my gold medal moments because yeah, I definitely. think that is what allows me to really dance with my, my purpose in life. And I, I just love where God has allowed me to be, even though three years ago, I was afraid for who God called me to be. Right. Right. And so I'm going to shift the subject a little because we kind of texted about this yesterday is this idea of being flexible. Um, So, you know, you like an example for you, it's like, you know, you're going through life and I forgot how old you were at age of 28, the, the retina, right. Detachment happened. And, you know, then you were diagnosed with autism at the age. So, you know, all these things like you're, kind of always adjusting and shifting and moving. And um, I just think it's so important for us as a society to really kind of understand that, I don't know, just me coming from an Indian family, it was always like, like, I remember when I was in high school, people would be like, oh, so what are you going to do now? And, you know, coming from this Indian family, it was like, you have to go to college. There wasn't like a, there wasn't like, oh, you can do this or that. And I was always confused. I was like, what do you mean I'm going to college? And then like later when I was older, then I realized like, oh, that's why people kept asking me that in high school. Because for a lot of Americans, like going to college isn't the only choice you have after high school. But for me as a children of Indian immigrants, it was like, okay, now you go to college and then you'll get married and you'll buy a house and you'll have kids. Like, so it was like, you go from point A to point Z and there's a certain path to do it. But as we all realize, there isn't a path, a certain path to do things like, Maybe education does help you, but, you know, not necessarily, you know, like there are a lot of educated people that, you know, end up 
I don't know, becoming a mechanic or whatever. I don't want to, I don't really know what that's just an example, but yeah. So it's just like, you constantly have to adjust. And I also think as humans, um, even when you have a disability, you do adjust to fit in a world that really isn't made for you. But then as you age, things are going to happen to you and you will also have to adjust and be flexible. And so you really have to embrace the idea of being flexible. Flexibility is really the idea as humans that we need to embrace, not this, this is how things will go. And, you know, COVID, COVID is something that happened. No one planned for that. Right. Like, and so we see as the world had to deal with it, people weren't happy, but I feel like the disabled community really dealt with it well, because we constantly have to adjust, adjust the way we are in the world, because the world is not created for disabled people, essentially. Right. It's, it's not made for us. And I, you know, unfortunately hate to be the bearer of bad news. I don't think it will ever 100% be made for us. I think that there are going to, of course, be adaptions made, bills passed, but for us to get and gain full acceptance, I don't think that that is something, unfortunately, that I will see in my lifetime. I would, I would love to say that I think that's going to happen, but unfortunately, you know, due to COVID, like we're, we're not even high on the priority list for vaccines. Right, right. So since we're not even on the priority list for something that is life-threatening that can potentially kill you, what makes you think that we're going to fully get the rights that we deserve? So I think that's why activism, especially disability activism is so important. I mean, unless we start knocking, can, not even start, unless we continue to knock on doors and start like, annoying the crap out of these lawmakers we're not going to get what we want because there are unfortunately people that are not flexible in seeing us as equal human beings they see us as less than right and uh, like yeah that's a great point you brought up like vaccines disabled people aren't a priority and you know like elderly people but not just, you know, not if you're a young disabled person, you're not up on the top of the list to get a vaccine um, for something that is life-threatening. And I, I feel the same way. I mean, I think activism has to exist for any minority, like people of color. And we're always going to have, because I, I do think we are wired a certain way as humans. And I think if we don't understand the history we don't know about the history that we will repeat what will happen because as humans, I just think we're wired a certain way. So I think if the majority of people are a certain way, they're going to, they're not going to care about the minorities unless the minorities speak up and say, Hey, no, make room for us. And I think that's something we'll always have to do as we know we're both of color and disabled so we have like you know and we're female so we have like at least three you know types of minorities and you know and we'll always have to speak up for it because 
And yeah, so for me, like people are like, oh, that's so great what you said. And the hopefully, like, you know, my relatives will be like, hopefully you'll be able to create the change you want. And I'm like, well, maybe, I don't know. I'll be able to create a tiny bit of change, but I don't expect it to like all of a sudden the world being like, oh yes, we need to include disabled people. I mean, even just like just as recent as a few days ago, the Los Angeles Community College were like trying to like, you know, like blind students were like, we need accommodations. You don't have these accommodations. They won this, you know, lawsuit uh-huh. in California. And then the LA, LA Community College were like, we're taking it to the Supreme Court. And even this was only a few you know, this was like literally in the last few years. So, and the ADA and all like all this activism for disabled people existed for about 30 years, uh, you know, a little over 30 years. So in that 30 years, if we aren't already, you know, if schools aren't like, yeah, we need to accommodate disabled people, we were wrong. It was unintentional. We're sorry, but we're going to fix it. But instead, they're trying to be like, it was unintentional, so we shouldn't be hold, held accountable for it. And it's like, well, even if it's unintentional, that's nice. You weren't purposefully doing it, but you still need to be held accountable for it. So I just think, we you know, like if we if we're already having a whole school system saying, no, we don't want to be held accountable because we didn't do it on purpose, then, you know, like how much change has happened in these past 32 years or whatever, you know, of how we um, accommodate disabled people to have something as important as education, you know, like. Right. But, 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 but you know what, though, Priya, on the other hand, is that if one of us, you know, with disabilities, don't at least step up and say that this is this is what we need we're going to keep um unfortunately being passed over we're going to unfortunately continue to to be ignored so for for me i think when it was it was it was really interesting the the two day training that i had for special olympics leadership Mm-hmm. And they started going around and telling us about the opportunities that they have for us as athlete leaders. And I didn't want to get laughed at, at what I really wanted. So I <laughs> went to Tyler privately on one of the breaks. Mm-hmm. And I said, I want to be featured on a billboard. I want to be famous. How can I do that? He looks at me and says, show up for opportunities. Now I had to be dead serious in what I meant and really mean what I say in order for anybody else to believe me. If I say one thing, it's not gonna matter unless I get other people on board, right? There's no point in having a rebellion if you're the only one yelling and the only one marching, right? Right, right, right. So I had to make that my claim to fame that I wanted to be well known. Mm-hmm. So I actively began to take the steps in order to do that. I started writing uh, these publications myself, writing these different podcasts, 
host myself started sending out emails to, you know, various media outlets saying, hi, I'm here. My name is Amanda. I write poetry. I'm disabled. Because you have to start the fire that's going to make the change. No one is going to do it for you. You can tell people what you're going to do, but unless you go ahead and honestly start that yourself, it's a good idea until it actually becomes an action. Yeah, yeah, no, I totally agree. Um, I, yeah, I wasn't saying it wasn't worth fighting. It's just like, I just think, I don't know, like I always like keep your expectations low or whatever. What is it? What do I always say? No, I forgot. <laughs> but I, I, I totally understand it. Sometimes you feel that you have like your back against back against the wall. I know that President Obama, I want to say, I believe it was in 2009, 2010, he signed into law, um, Rosa's law, which was the idea that um, the, the abolishing of the, the R word. Right, right. And what are we still here? Oh, yeah. I mean, People I personally don't, R- I personally don't really use it. But yeah, I mean, yeah, yes, I man. understand. Like and still so, the word. it's like, can can we say something else, please? Well, can and we- plus, unlike I would say the N word or this, you know, the crip word. I I just think when you can reclaim those words and give yourself power as a black person or as a disabled person with these words, the R word, there is no power to embrace for that it was simply a word to hurt people you know there is no I don't know I just feel there's certain words that there is no room to like be like oh let's reclaim this word and make it mean something else type of thing and so yeah no I totally agree but yeah my my point was like really um that we we should speak up but um what how much change we expect we should control you know control you know people aren't going to change their minds overnight and i think especially for disabled people this is a new new way of thinking about people because you know disabled people have existed since the beginning of time this isn't like it's not like all of a sudden disabled people appeared in like 1955 people have always existed and i think you know i just think the world the way it was it was hard to include disabled people but i just think now we're living in a time where it is possible to include disabled people in so many ways and us as humans, just because we're doing a thing a certain way, we figured out a way to do things and we're, we haven't updated the way we do things with all the technology and all these different things we have, like, you know, being able to make curb cuts, being able to have captions, being able to video chat, you know, being able to have performances like a online component. So, 
not only disabled people can participate, single mothers, like all the, you know, just the whole world. All the marginalized groups. Yeah. All the the marginalized groups can participate in something that they couldn't before. So I just think, I almost feel like the pandemic, like my friend and I talked about it. I, you know, I was like saying, well, you know, things happen for a reason. And she replied, she goes, yeah, I just think if we're experiencing something, we got to learn from it. And so like, I feel like what the pandemic has taught us is how we can do things differently and we should embrace it for sure. Yeah. Yeah. No, definitely. Definitely. Um, you, you brought up a, a point when you when you were saying about that you don't necessarily know or being able to make like small changes and you know if you know that you you were the one that made one small change that you would be just as happy and I you know just kind of piggyback off of um that I I I I think that we can first of all we have to be accountable for ourselves so if you choose to join this lovely disability revolution, then think about yourself, first of all, and perhaps you as the leader can say, well, okay, well, I'm going to be one of the ones to go ahead and make this change. And then perhaps if my friends see me making this change and having fun while doing it, then perhaps they're going to go ahead and join me. Nobody told me to wake up one day and say that I'm going to become a poet and it's going to essentially become like my activism. No one called me up and said, Amanda, I think you should do this. I had to step into my own power. And when I began writing poetry, that became like my activism. But of course, nobody took me seriously in the beginning. Like a lot of people didn't. They were like, what is this? What is she trying to do? I was actually told that my poetry was now what did he say oh they said uh this isn't poetry these are just sentences yeah bye for the most part if if i let that stop me i wouldn't be where i am today Mm -hmm. wrote um a book in 20 2017 legally blind letters from amanda not a trained poet by trade, didn't study it in school, something I decided to completely do on my own. In fact, none of my poetry has been like professionally checked by like an editor or anything or professionally analyzed or any of that Mm -hmm. and all that kind of stuff to say what it means because it's, these are my thoughts, feelings, and my ideas. Yeah, that's great. And, you know, my opinion, you know, I'm an artist. I did go to art school, but, you know, I went to school for photography. And back when I went to school, there were no, there was nothing digital. It was all film, film cameras. You had to Uh develop the film. You had to print the photographs, which I love doing. But I really love like where we are now, because now everybody has a phone on their camera and, you know, people take pictures all the time. And I, and, you know, a lot of my friends from art school, they don't really like it. They don't like that this like specialized, high educated thought process of photography has now everybody can be a part of it. 
it, you know, it's, and I, I, I kind of really love that. I love how the technology has brought down the, you know, kind of made it for ev- ev- available for everyone. So my opinion is, you know, in the arts, like, okay, yeah, when you, you're a doctor, you have to learn the doctor stuff or whatever, or even a scientist, you have to learn physics and stuff like that. But like poetry and painting and photography and music and all these things, there are things you can actually learn and perhaps not being educated in academia, you might even come up with something new and different that academia will later take and say, this is the way you're supposed to do it. This is how you're, this is how you're supposed to do it. And it's like, I, I, I think for me, it, it went from my, my experience in poetry from being this, this uh, highly educated professor and he taught disability studies never met the guy, but taught disability studies somewhere at some college. Right, right. You're telling me that this isn't poetry, these are just sentences. But then I'm dealing with people in my circle, such as the very awesome Judy Human. She tells me my poetry is wonderful. And then, of course, you know, recently getting to interact with Tim Shriver, who is also a, a doctor he's a doctor in uh education he he was a teacher and you know went back and got his phd he thinks my stuff is good so it's like you you have one person that tells me i'm absolutely wrong but then you have an entire community of people within the special olympics who tells me my stuff is great who do you think i'm naturally going to go with the very first person to reject me to tell me my stuff was horrible or these people who have made life-changing um, life-changing impacts for the world of people with disabilities. Right. Of right. course, I'm going to go with the persons who have made the life-changing um, impacts for persons with disabilities, because to me, their opinions are the only thing that truly matter to me. Like the Special Olympics as a community is... <clears throat> is really truly a gift that will rally around you if you are and it has has nothing to do with being you know we only like you if you're highly gifted in sports because if that were true they would have thrown me out on my behind a long time ago (laughs) or they they promote again us at all different levels so I I think being an artist is you know a wonderful contrast to sports but also being able for me to give my opinion on how I view the world as a disabled autistic double minority (laughs) yeah no that's great so do you think like the did the public speaking lead you to the poetry or were you doing poetry well well, you know what? I take that back. So I think the poetry led me more to the public speaking because when I was having to do public speaking assignments and things like that, when I was younger, 
it was all school related. You're doing this for a grade. You're doing this for a homework assignment. Right. The poetry, right. you're completely free. Right, right. This interview, you're completely free. I'm doing exactly right. what I love in this moment with you right now. Right, right, right. Awesome. Yeah, no, that's, I was like thinking, oh, that the public speaking led you to do the poetry, but it was the opposite. The poetry gave you this freedom and the public speaking is a little more stringent in a way because you have to, I don't know, come up, I don't know, with, like for me, when I do public speaking, like I'll like write something out, then I'll break it into parts and then I have to memorize it. And then I, then I want to like, I want to present it like me, like the way I talk, because I think that's, you know, like, I think my personality and the way I speak is going to be what gets people to listen to what I'm saying instead of, you know, just reading it for like a page or something like that. So yeah, for me, like the public speaking, I'm trying, I'm getting the ideas down, but then I'm sitting, going around the house, practicing it, like saying it the way I would say it type of thing instead of, you know, so, so, you know, the public speaking is a little more, I don't know, stringent, I guess is the word I would use. I don't know if I'm using the right word, but you know what I'd say. So, so here, here's the interesting thing for me, and here's how I view um, public speaking. And I, I think it was kind of um, one of the ways that I decided to deal with it when I was doing it for the Special Olympics, because in order to graduate this class, oh, what'd you have to do? Oh, you had to give a speech. So <laughs> it, was, it was only three minutes, but I noticed that there was a point where I put my script down and just started speaking from the heart. And that is the way where I begin to really truly express myself. And I do that exact same thing for poetry. I don't use any prompts or anything. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, the, the poem that I wanted to share on today's podcast was actually, I actually just wrote it a couple hours ago. Oh, cool. Cool. Yeah. I actually just wrote it a couple hours ago. No prompts, no nothing. I just woke up and said, oh, well, I'm going to write this thing and uh, and then I'm going to share it. (laughs) Yeah, no, that's great because, you know, I'm in a band with my longtime partner and friend and caregiver. (laughs) He plays all kinds of roles for me, but um, we've been in a band together for 30 years and, you know, he'll just wake up and write like 10 songs, like, like literally he'll be like 10 songs. And then we have these, then we work on those 10 songs for about 10 years. <laughs> it's like, at, at the same time, it's like, don't you just love that creativity at the same time? Because it's like, there, there are no rules to it. Whereas like, and, and here's, I guess the, the other thing that I really do love and notice about myself within the special Olympics. So when you play sports has a bunch of rules, right? Right, right. Don't do that. Don't do that. That's considered a penalty shot. That's right. You right. Can't do that. Whereas public speaking, that gives you the right and the freedom to go ahead and excel in a different way that is completely creative. And I can definitely say this out of all of the. So I actually have a funny story to tell you. I actually just thought about it. Yeah, go for it. I was asked to be on a panel with a group 
of other Special Olympics athletes. Mm-hmm. And this was for a medical school. And I'm starting to laugh because it's such a hot mess in my case. Right, right. Because Zoom <laughs> stopped working in my case. Uh-huh. And I couldn't get in. I think uh-huh. we were scheduled to go on at like 11. Uh-huh. I couldn't get logged on until like 1130, 1145. Uh-huh. So Tyler's having to help me. He's sending me all these different like Zoom links and everything. Oh, and let me know when you get in. I finally get in. I'm listening to what my other teammate is saying in regards to, oh, this all had to do with COVID too. This was like right. the health panel. So it all had to do with COVID. <laughs> And I'm listening to closely, closely listening to what my uh, teammate is saying. And they were like, Amanda, so what do you think about so-and-so? I'm like, well, I think that COVID is this. And I think that people with disabilities are going to help if they do this. And I think that this is going to happen. And that's going to happen. And this, that, and the other is going to happen. I don't even know what I'm talking about. All right, right, right. And it was such a disaster just kind of like in my head. Because then there's there's winging it, and then there's just complete like haranothing it, as I call it, just like <laughs> just haranothing it because it's such a disaster. So we have this uh, group page that we use on Facebook for Special Olympics Northern California, mm-hmm. and I a lesson being a lesson being brave in the attempt when you have no idea what to say, completely make it up. <laughs> Well, you know, there's that saying, fake it till you make it, that type of thing. Like, you know. Yeah, it was kind of like, like, fake it until you make it. Like, I didn't know what I was talking about. But I'm the same way, like, I'll be like, yeah, I'll just, I don't know. I just like ramble on and say all these things. And I'm like, oh my gosh, what the heck did I just say? But people are like, oh, that was so great. And I'm like, all right whatever I don't know I don't yeah yeah no I I had athletes call me after and they were like you gave a great presentation I know and And then you're like I don't even know what I said but okay cool I'm glad okay cool thank you (laughs) yeah because I'm I'm thinking the entire time I was like oh my gosh I was like they're never going to ask me back. They're not going to ask me back to do anything. They're not going to have me represent the Special Olympics. They're not going to have me represent Northern California. Tyler's going to get really, really mad at me. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's, yeah, that's really awesome. Well, you know, I mean, did you have anything else? Because I want you to read one of your, or however many poems you have. Um, But is there something else we you know, I know we texted a lot. So is there something I'm just not thinking of? I'm kind of like in outer space today. I'm like, hmm, what should I do? Oh, yeah, yeah. Don't, um, you, I, I was telling you about my uh, jewelry. So I don't know if you can see this, but this oh, is. Oh, yeah, awesome. I can. That's awesome. I love it. Custom made uh, Special Olympics Northern California jewelry that I decided to design because, you know, not into sports so that's not going to help in that way i'm a wreck in the kitchen so i'm not going to bake cookies to raise (laughs) what am i going to do i'm going to design all these lovely special olympics bracelets i'm wearing uh bracelets on here that say things such as courage smile joy 
um, SONC, which stands for Special Olympics Northern California. I have been designing jewelry actually since last summer. Mm-hmm. And uh, another thing about being like vision impaired, low vision type of thing, mm-hmm. you really, really have, well, at least I really have difficulty putting the earrings together because mm-hmm. I don't know which way to twist the pliers. I don't know how to go ahead and put the hooks in. I have the same problem and I'm not low vision, so. (laughs) (laughs) So it's okay. It's not, that's not the reason. It's just. We, we, we have at at the end of our special Olympics, the very last line reads, um, let me be brave in the attempt. So I use it all as motivation to be brave in the attempt, but until I eventually taught myself how to correctly twist the pliers around to eventually get the hooks together and now I can eventually now I can string the jewelry myself and put the earring hooks on so I was honestly like truly proud of um my my accomplishment for that and I I owe my thanks to the special olympics for that because they they literally cheered me on in the process and I would talk about well this is really difficult and having low vision and trying to design jewelry is really uh difficult but uh, i tell you when when god was passing out the athletic genes he skipped me so since right, he skipped right. me i had to find something else to do yeah well yeah that's great so um yeah why don't you read your poem i mean i don't know how many you, i think you said two but whatever if you can read however many you want i am not i'm not a curtailer is that the right word? Okay, go for it. Okay, that's perfect. Oh, no! This is the wrong one. Uh-oh. Well, actually, actually, I might go ahead and do that. But um, this one was actually written last night. Uh-huh. Um, last night? Oh, I'm sorry. Sorry, not last night. Oops. <laughs> this one was actually written. You better get it right. You better get when you wrote it right. <laughs> this one was actually written yesterday. Excuse me. Yesterday. Okay. Okay. So this one is called And Suddenly. And Suddenly. Trying to be someone I wasn't. Trying to fulfill a purpose that wasn't certain trying to keep up with a passion that was not in fact my purpose i had a different skill set that caused me pain and shame the anticipation of competition would no longer drive me and suddenly i found myself one hot summer day pursuing a passion of mine, secretly, the joy of public speaking. That is when my heart had truly found what it had been longing for. What a joy. And something, something that I could be good at that would make me eventually feel whole. And suddenly, Special Olympics, Northern California. They, they helped me truly find my voice. Thank you. Yeah, that was great. I don't know why a person would have insulted you. I thought that was 
very poetry like <laughs> I mean you know when you told me that I was like thinking you know what does a poem sound like exactly you know like like you know like I don't really write poetry or read poetry that much but you know growing up you had the haikus you know like and it was about the consonants but you know there were phrases that you know I think I forget how haikus go it was like it's like do you know what I mean? Like, is, is that the syllables? It's like, yeah, they have five maybe syllables, syllables like syllables. Eight, five syllables and eight syllables. So yeah, like a haiku, which is a Japanese poem, wasn't really about what you were saying. It was more about the syllable, how many syllables you had in each line. And I forgot, you know, it was so long ago. So yeah, it, 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 when you were saying that someone said that to you, I was like thinking, why would they say that to you? They're just a jerk. I guess that person's just a jerk. Because, you know, when you're doing something creative, there is no right or wrong way to do it. I mean, I'm sure the first person that wrote poetry in a million years ago, you know, they were like, oh, that's nice. You know, and then, I don't know. It's just like, to me, I just think it's bizarre. I don't know. I just think it's a bizarre reaction to tell someone, oh, that's not poetry. You don't know what you're doing. Like, why would they do that? I think they were just trying to be mean. Yeah, it, it was specific. Like, this isn't poetry. These are sentences. But that's sometimes that's what poetry is. So that's why I was just confused. I was like, why would they say that? That's really bizarre to me. To me, I, I, I don't understand why, you know, someone would already immediately put up walls. Do you think it was because you're disabled or do you think it was just because that person was foolish or something? I was going to say an idiot, but then I was like, no, Priya. I try not to use things mean, hurtful. I was like, let's just say he was foolish. <laughs> foolish person. And, and you know, I, I can't answer that. Right, right. I've I, I don't know, but I would say that that was really one of the, the first times that, you know, I, I had ever heard that or been, been met with that type of criticism. But mm-hmm. um, as I said earlier, that it made a world of difference when I started presenting my work to the Special Olympics, because then you had Special Olympics Northern California cheering me on. And then you had persons like Tim Shriver, you know, cheering me on. It's like, wait, it's like the chairman of the Special Olympics likes my poetry and wants to hear more of it and agrees with what I'm saying. And this man is a doctor at the end of the day. Right, right. Way more degrees than I have. And And maybe better taste than the <laughs> other person maybe he has better taste than the other person oh de- de- definitely definitely he he completely uh tim shriver completely embodies the movement that his mother started he has just helped to amplify the movement that his mother started in 1968 right yeah yeah, yeah no that's great but yeah i really like enjoyed your poetry i went to your website too and i read some stuff so i thought it was cool. But yeah, I will admit I'm not a poetry person. Like I'm more like what my writing's more like telling, explaining to people, like, I don't know. I don't know what my writing is. It's maybe it's poetic. I don't know. I don't know what it is. I just do it. 
there you go. And, and that's how I feel. And maybe that's what the other person was trying to, maybe, maybe they figured that, uh, you shouldn't be just doing it. Maybe you should have some type of, my poetry does not require any outlines. They right, don't have right. any like outlines or prompts or anything because I, I just, so this, this next poem that I have for you, I, it came out of a conversation after I was talking to a friend and I was telling them about all the things that I had been through with the hydrocephalus and the autism and things like that. Mm-hmm. And they remarked to me, they said, you're like a cat. And I was like, a cat. I was like, why? And they were like, because of all the things you've been through, you actually have several lives. So this actually inspired me to write several lives. And I had written this poem. I I love telling stories about how long it took me to write things. Right. Because I'm between writing poems in 10 and 15 minutes. Mm -hmm. That's cool. Um, More so at the 15 minutes, depending on what's going on. But um, anyway, (laughs) (laughs) this is several lives I think I wrote this if I remember correctly I believe this was written about two in the morning okay yeah several lives I've lived several lives and I don't think you understand my impact has nothing is nothing that has been done before but still I dare to dance I waltz with differences I'll tango with adversity. I may have been called out. That's fine because you'll never be like me. I've dealt with autism and flawed vision. My struggle has been apparent from day one, but my strength comes from within. I've lived several lives. I've been through the worst of it. 21 brain surgeries are just the tip of the iceberg until you continue to chip away and find that I had a cancer diagnosis waiting in the wings, but just look, I survived that cancer free. And so I'm up for the challenge. I have made my battle cry, so just allow me to dance. I refuse to be silent, and I will not deny that my life has been traumatic because my destiny is huge. Not everybody has been chosen to live several lives, so just go on, get out of my way, and move. Thank you. I love that one. Yeah, that one had a lot of fire to it. I felt like yeah, and I I think that that's another way that I like to truly see like the the Special Olympics. I see it as this fiery rebellion, actually. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I mean you know like to me it kind of reminded me like you know like they have the beat poetry or you know where, where people will snap and a person would like just talk over to the beat like I don't know I've just seen like you know just like in the 60s and 70s there were a lot of poets that were breaking the tradition of what poetry was before in like some sort of academic versions and people kind of took it on their own and created it and yeah so I love that I was like I almost wanted to like kind of like like a snap while you were reading your poetry yeah yeah it's 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 truly for me it's a true call to rebellion right and that those of us with 
with disabilities are rebels in our own right. I'll never forget one of my first interviews that I did on behalf of the Special Olympics. It was for um, a women's talk. I, I believe it was something for International Women's Day. I believe it was mm-hmm. something that I was doing for um, women and women in sports and events, I believe was uh, the name of the event. And I made this comment during the interview that the real people in life are not your bikers with the long hair and the tattoos and the leather jackets. They're people with disabilities. And we come out swinging rebellious from the time we're born because many doctors and medical professionals say that, well, this is your kid's diagnosis. This is gonna be the list of things that your kid is not gonna be able to do and have a good day. When we do those things, I specifically remember for myself, a lot of the things that were spoken over me is that um, I would never be able to talk. I wouldn't be able to ride a bike due to the hydrocephalus. I wouldn't be able to roller skate and Mm -hmm. things like that. So I would have to, you know, just, I guess, essentially live life in a bubble kind of sounds like what they wanted me to do, but my parents would encourage me to get outside and go out with my older sister. If she was riding a bike, then I would learn too. And, you know, I made my, I made my mistakes and I would fall off my bike and just, you know, readjust my health. Like any other kid. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) Just like any other kid. And, you know, we, we would take like fishing trips. And I remember going on these, you know, fishing trips in order to get down to the water, you would have to go on like these various, you would have to climb down like these rocks and things like that. And, you know, of course my vision, not necessarily being stable, but I did it anyway. I I jumped off of things. I attempted to do cartwheels. Wasn't very good at it. I, I, one you tried, you attempted. Exactly. I, I attempted, I wanted to be like everybody else because in my mind at that age what's truly stopping you i i wasn't i wasn't in a bubble and i had to realize that if if i was going to be quote unquote just like everybody else even though i knew in my head i wasn't or eventually would learn in my head and heart that i wasn't meant to be like everybody else mm-hmm. how about just having these childhood experiences of ballet and going fishing and taking karate classes and taking art classes. I didn't have to be good at any of them to experience them. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, there's this idea like people are like, when you attempt something, you have to be really good at it. And I'm like, no, you just have to be able to do it and maybe you aren't good at it and you'll do it a couple of times and do something else. I don't know. Like, you know, so, um, but because if we don't try, how will we know if we can be good at it? Right. We just, if if we don't, if we don't try, we're, we're not going to know. And unfortunately, just like, you know, like my example with sports, I mean, 
I, I can try until I'm blue in the face, but it's like, I'm never going to be a skilled athlete, but that doesn't mean that I'm still not going to enjoy my experiences or that doesn't mean like, for instance, the special Olympics is not for me. It's just for me in a different way. And yeah, a different it's, purpose. It's a, there's a different purpose in your life for the special Olympics. You have a different purpose than someone else that maybe is a little more better at sports and can do whatever it is they do in the sporting thing. And for you, it was the public speaking and speaking about the special, because you need, you need both. You don't, it's just like, you need someone that can speak articulately and speak well, like you to kind of push forward the mission of the, of the movement. Right. So, right. It's, it's not going to, it's, it's not going away. There needs to be there, there need to be confident voices and not just in the Special Olympics, really in any movement. In anything, say, exactly. Yeah. Hey, stop. This isn't right. I mean, it, it doesn't, it doesn't necessarily, it doesn't necessarily matter. Do we, do we believe that all of our activists who, you know, went before us, do we all believe that they were all skilled public speakers? No, not necessarily, but we, but they got their their points across and made their, their mark in history. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I really truly believe that I, I learned this actually my, my last time lobbying. So this was actually earlier this year and there's a wonderful quote. I have no idea who it's by. I really need to figure it out where um, that says quiet women never make history. Hmm. I have to think about that for a second because I do think quiet people can contribute. You know what I mean? But maybe in a different way, you know, I, I, I think it was meant in a way of, and this, this is what I actually said while I was lobbying Congress. I, I love to be very vocal for something that I love, which is for me, this, this movement. Right. Right. And maybe because I'm not the best at sports, I rely on my voice to do what I can't do on the field. Right. Right. So for, for me, I'm not going to stop being quiet because I don't believe in it. Someone better cut my tongue out or something or else I'm not going to, I'm not going to shut up. I'm not going to stop saying what I believe. Yeah, no, and you shouldn't. And we shouldn't. But I think I should end there because I have to go. But I would love if you have another poem. Do you have another poem? Do you, should we end with another poem? And Oh, I, that'll be fun. That'll be a good way to end it. End it this, I think. And you know, we'll give you time. I'll give you like waiting music. And she's ready. Go for it. All right. Thank you. Warrior. I am a warrior. I have emerged from the flames. I almost got burned, but I was able to tame the beast that we often call shame. I have been scarred beyond belief, but I will achieve. 
I take my chances, a call from the heart. I take it one step at a time. My battle cry is very apparent. I've lived several lives and I've cheated death. I am a warrior. I have come. I will be the one. I will rise. Thank you. Thank you.